the non-microwave truth, and this is C.L. Whiteside. Let's get into our first world problem right away today. And what we're going to do is I had an episode called Bad Promises, which was a, a couple episodes ago. And on there, there was a judge by the name of Jephthah. And I want to focus on what happened to his daughter. So if you're not familiar with that story, Jephthah is a judge who made a vow to the Lord. And he said this. This is the King James Version. If you will indeed deliver the people of Ammon into my hands, then it will be whatever comes out the doors of my house to meet me. When I return in peace from the people of Ammon shall surely be the Lord's and I will offer it up as a burnt offering. So when you read that or you hear me read that, it's saying whatever comes out the door, he's going to burn it and sacrifice it to God. And if you don't remember what came out the door or who came out the door was his daughter. His daughter came out the door dancing like, hey, daddy. And he like, dang. Why my daughter? But I said it, so I got to do it. But I was listening to a sermon from a pastor named James Hine, who's the pastor of St. Marcus. And he has this great series on judges. And he kind of talked about a different perspective or a different possibility. And I saw this when I was researching and doing that episode, but I wasn't quite sure on why some biblical scholars and historians thought that it could have been a different or alternative route. So it talks about the flexibility of a, of a conjunction. And it talks about it being in Hebrew and it talks about that conjunction can mean and or that conjunction can mean or the word in Hebrew is like V.A.V. You have to Google it. I don't know what that sounds like or yeah, well, I don't know what that is in Hebrew, but yeah, but that's a huge difference. If you can say or like whatever comes out the door, I will give to the Lord or I will sacrifice it as a burnt offering. So my first world problem question for you today is, what do you think? Do you think Jephthah sacrificed his daughter as a burnt offering? Or do you think that Jephthah forced or convinced his daughter and gave her to the Lord? And one of the reasons that people say that the, it's the or is the second part of giving the daughter to the Lord is because like the passage focuses, if you read Judges 11, it focuses on virginity it focuses focuses on her virginity and it talks about how it became a custom it says and it became a custom in israel that the daughters of israel went four days each year to lament the daughter of jephthah the gileadite and lament the definition is like to mourn a person's loss or death it's a passionate expression of grief or sorrow so which one is it did jephthah burn his daughter up as a sacrifice or did Jephthah just say, hey, you got to go live with the Lord. And you should read Judges 11 again, too, because it also talks about like how he let her go for two months and kind of takes like some girls trip and they kind of cried about it and everything. But, but check out Judges 11. But what do you think? Did Jephthah give his daughter as a burnt offering or did Jephthah just say, hey, you got to go give your life to the Lord? And she was down with it like, OK, Dad, you made a promise. I'll go do it. Oh, yeah. And another interesting thing is she never talks about dying. She just talks about like, dang, I'm never going to be able to get married. Like if you're about to die, wouldn't would, would, would marriage be the last thing on your mind? Like you ain't worried about getting married. You're worried about living. But yeah, this is our first world problem. Let me know what you think. I would love to hear from you on Instagram or Twitter. My handle is Champion Life 23. And this is our first world problem. It 
is dinner time. Now, the next four episodes, including this one, is going to kind of be like a dedication to Black History Month. And it's going to be focusing on different social issues that we have. Question for you off top. Was Jesus black or Jesus white? Neither. I mean, he was Jewish. But why do we have a fascination in putting a face to his name? And I got a theory. One of the theory or the reason I think is we want to be want to make it relatable. We want to have that thought process of if you see it, you can believe it. And if I can see that Jesus looks like me, then I people have a better chance of believing it. And people get into art and trying to make the church pretty and they put in pictures of Jesus in the in the windows. They got pictures of Jesus in the front at the altar. But it's like, dang, like you, you depicting him as that. And there's an underlying desire that we want Christ to be more like us than for us to be like him. And we try to make it easier to serve him. And Jesus is not a white guy. He's not a black guy. In fact, he looks more probably like the enemy. And when I say enemy in quotations, probably like if you remember in the early 2000s, the Osama bin Laden or someone in ISIS that you were told to hate. Have you ever thought about that? Someone that you told was evil like some terrorist in the Middle East. Would you be comfortable with that? That thought of thinking like Jesus probably looked more like him than he does like me or you. And I know some of you are like, seal, you're going too far. And I know that, that was the whole point, just to get you thinking outside the box, though. The title of this episode is, Does Race Matter in the Bible? Does race matter in the Bible? What do you think? Now, when you look at our American churches, the portrayal of Jesus is usually a white dude with long hair and a beard. And I got breaking news for you. Jesus was a Nazarene, not a Nazarite. And you're like, well, what's the difference? The brother was born in Bethlehem, but he grew up in Nazareth. Like, that's where he's from. And you're like, well, what's the point? I, I don't get it. What's the difference between a Nazarene and, and a Nazarite? Nazarene means he's from Nazareth. A Nazarite is someone who was dedicated. They dedicated their life to God. Like Samson is a, is a Nazarite. They couldn't cut their hair. They could not drink wine. And they really couldn't be around dead bodies. And we know Jesus was not a Nazarite because he drank wine. Water and the wine. You know, when he was on the cross, took some wine, broke bread, gave it to his disciples. That was wine. Couldn't mess with grapes. Jesus messed with grapes. He messed with dead bodies. He raised a few people from the dead. But yeah, next time you go in a church, just look at the art. Look at a picture of Jesus. Just look at the shirts that, that people wear nowadays. There's usually Jesus looks like a white dude with long brown hair and probably a solid beard. beard. Like, I, I can't grow a beard, so I'm a little jealous. But yeah, they make him with a beard. But for all we know, he, he might have had a shorter, like, little buzz cut. I wouldn't say he was bald. I definitely wouldn't say he was bald like me, but yeah. And this is just like a fact. Like I visited a college that was focused on training pastors and training teachers to be in the ministry, to be Christian teachers, Christian pastors, of course. And it's a 99% white college. And of course, when I looked at the altar, they had a, a white Jesus. And I know something that they struggle with sometimes is like, you know, I wonder why we can't get more minorities here. And it's like, Look at all of this stuff right here. You portray Jesus as white. You portray Mary and Martha as white. You portray all these different people uh, as white. 
So if you black or if you're a minority, you're looking for a reason not to go there and you just keep providing them by making and having white Jesus everywhere. And of course, I could be wrong, but I feel like in, in black churches, there's less art or portrayals of Jesus. But of course, I know there are some churches that have have a black Jesus. And I'm guessing an Asian church could have an Asian Jesus and a Hispanic church can have a Hispanic Jesus. But let's go back to that question. Does race in the Bible matter? No. I mean, yes. I mean, kind of. I mean, it, it, it kind of does. It, it does, but it doesn't. In our culture, it has definitely come to matter. We have made it matter. And, and a big reason is because of the, the whitewashing effect. And I just got to call a spade a spade. And I really want to look at some reasons why, especially minorities, especially black people say they don't want to be Christians at time. And I want to look at how something good could all of a sudden be manipulated and turn into something bad. And I also want to look at how the devil is constantly trying to divide us and separate us and, and segregate us. And pertaining to this particular topic of does race matter in the Bible, we as a church, and when I say church, I mean all believers, believers everywhere, we need to address this. And what are some reasons why minorities don't want to be Christian? And one of the reasons, and I've literally heard this, is because I want to believe in a white Jesus. And then I've also heard something like, you know, I don't want to believe a religion that was forced on me when people took me out of my, my native country and took me out of my natural religion that I was already worshiping. And I've definitely heard black people say this for sure. And like I say, the most potent lies tell half of the truth. And there is some truth to that, that statement. Has America created or portrayed Jesus as white in a lot of cases? Uh, just look around. Was that religion forced on black people in slavery? Uh, ish, ish. And what I mean by that is there's a fact that people, slave owners, use the Bible to justify uh, a racially charged mistreatment and enslavement of blacks. And that is what has made race matter. And there are still there are still lingering effects of that in the U.S. today because people who have called themselves Christians have taken passages like this. And I'm just going to give you a few passages that slave owners would give or they, how they would justify slavery. Ephesians six, verse five through eight, it says slaves obey your earthly masters with respect and fear and with sincerity of heart, just as you would obey Christ. Obey them not only to win their favor when their eyes on you. But as slaves of Christ, doing the will of God from your heart, serve wholeheartedly as if you were serving the Lord, not people, because you know that the Lord will reward each one for whatever good they do, whether they are slave or free. Or how about this? Titus 2, verse 9 through 10, 9 and 10. It says, teach slaves to be subject to their masters in everything, to try to please them, not to talk back to them and not to steal from them, but to show that they can be fully trusted so that in every way. They will make the teaching about God, our Savior, attractive. Boy, you talk about taking something out of context and manipulating, just manipulating the beautiful word of God. Like God didn't approve of this type of slavery. These passages are more so talking about like the relationship between an employee and a boss and how an employee should be respectful to a boss who has like granted or given them a job. 
This is not talking about the type of slavery, like the American slavery that we think of. He didn't approve of someone being treated like an animal and being a permanent slave from generation to generation to generation. And the whole goal is to become rich. God didn't want people being beat and hit and spit and disrespected and treated as less than a child of God. And there are definitely passages that go against this unhumane way of treating people in this this type of slavery exodus 21 verse 26 and 27 it says an owner who hits a male or female slave in the eye and destroys it must let the slave go free to compensate for the eye an owner who knocks out the tooth of a male or female slave must let the slave go free to compensate for the tooth or how about exodus 21 verse 16 anyone who kidnaps someone is to be put to death whether the victim has been sold or is still in the kidnapper's possession but, you know, everybody wasn't using the whole Bible or looking at other passages. They were just looking at passages to support their greed and their selfishness. And that's the sad part about it. And that's not something that we want to fall slave to today. And because of the whitewashing and the mistrust, there's a there's a, a mistrust with even the interpretation of the Bible. Some people feel like, White people or people in general have gotten a hold of the Bible and manipulated it to say whatever they wanted to say. But when you look at this, this was one of the reasons that they did not want slaves to be able to read, because if they would have been able to read the entire Bible, they would have been able to get the truth for themselves and see, like, this is not what God has intended. This is just something that man has manipulated and lied on God. And there are two sad and very, very scary things about this. The first one being that there were church going folks and people who really called themselves Christians who used some of these Bible passages and manipulated it to justify slavery. And on the opposite end of the spectrum, it's sad and scary that all white people might get lumped into this category of evil or bad. And they actually were doing things the right way. And it's just it's such a, a complex thing when you look at it like that. And we definitely can't forget that the Israelites in the Bible were in a similar slavery, God's chosen people as blacks in America. If you remember, God sent Moses to tell Pharaoh to let his people go. And it wasn't until the 10 plagues that Pharaoh finally let him go. That's an exodus. Go check that out too. Now, I want to take a look at some black people or some people with melanin in their skin that are mentioned in the Bible. And some of you might be like, well, why? Because it's Black History Month. But no, even more on a serious note, it's just important because if people believe that the Bible has been whitewashed and the Bible is only for one particular race, when really the Bible is for every single race, God was about every single nation. And because of some pe people being so turned off by earlier Christians, it's something that we just have to look at. And the first person with some melanin in their skin that I want to talk about, and a lot of people speculate was a black woman, is Moses's wife. In Numbers chapter 12, it says Miriam and Aaron began to talk against Moses because of his Cushite wife, for he had married a Cushite. Now, when you look at the region called Cush, it's usually associated with or it's like equated with Ethiopia. The more accurate I've learned is Nubia. That's the region south of Egypt. And in that region, you found a lot of people with some brown or darker complexion. 
And looking at Egyptian art, it displays like Kushites or I think scholars will call them Nubians. I think that's what they call the people from Nubia. They usually have or usually see them with brown and like a chocolate complexion. This is what the art displays. So the first thing I want to point out is it appears that Moses has a thing for the chocolate. I'm just kidding. <laughs> well, well, not really. But we see he didn't discriminate. However, my second point is their speculation that Miriam and Aaron's disapproval or, you know, just them being upset with Moses could have been because of them being jealous of how God gave Moses the authority and how Moses was the one that God or Moses was the one that Yah spoke to. So think about that. They're mad about Moses's authority. And Miriam seems to be the ringleader of this. Of Let's make fun of his wife then. Now, this is speculation. It was maybe the talking about this Kushite woman because of her skin or her being dark. I think a lot of scholars think this because, one, it points out the fact that she's Kushite. And two, why some feel it was it had to deal with her, her color or her complexion that she was being attacked by is because the Lord punishes Miriam by giving her leprosy. Leprosy is a skin disease. It says her skin turned as white as snow and she ended up having to spend seven days outside of their camp. So a lot of people look at that correlation. That's interesting, though, right? It could have been a complexion thing. It could have been a culture thing. But the biggest thing to take away is when God gives you a place or position, don't attack another person to try to elevate yourself higher than you should be. And what we see with this is, is Miriam and Aaron weren't happy with the position that they had. So they ended up attacking Moses and attacking his wife. And like, isn't that the whole reason American slavery came about? Because of people's greed and the desire to elevate themselves to a higher position and greater status. And that's something we all have to be careful. We aren't being a Miriam and be more like Moses and don't discriminate and don't get too greedy. Now, the second person that I want to look at is the Ethiopian eunuch. And that is in Acts 8, verse 26 through 40. And this is when Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch, they meet. And this definitely kills the argument. This, this definitely kills the argument that every black slave automatically believed in some heathen God or automatically had a different religion. Were there some slaves that probably had different religions? Yes. But did every single one have some crazy religion or did they not know who God was? We don't know that. This proves that every African didn't have some heathen um, God. Like there were Africans who knew God and his word. And what we see with the Ethiopian eunuch is he was coming to Jerusalem to worship. He was coming to Jerusalem to worship. And on his way back home, he's reading the book of Isaiah. And the spirit goes up to Philip and says, hey, go to that chariot and stay near. Because, you know, my man was rolling. He was rolling in the chariot. That'd be like a BMW in today. And Philip runs up to the chariot and he hears the man reading Isaiah the prophet. That's in the Old Testament. And he just asks him, he says, do you understand what you're reading? And he answers him like, how can I? Unless someone explains it to me. So then he invites Philip to come up and sit with him. And Philip tells him about Jesus. Then Philip ends up baptizing the Ethiopian eunuch. It says that the spirit of the Lord suddenly took Philip away and the eunuch didn't see him again. But the eunuch went away geeked. He went away rejoicing. 
And you can't tell me if you just realized and had that news that the Ethiopian unit got, you're not going to go back and tell your friends and tell your family and tell people about this in Africa. Like, come on now. So I think it's safe to guess that he went back home and he told people what he had learned. And if you were wondering what a eunuch was or is, that's a person who got the testicles cut off. And the reason they would get them cut off is because the king would wanted to make wanted to make sure that they wouldn't be um, enticed or tempted to to do anything sexual with the queen, with the the royal women there, or anything of that nature. So yeah, you get the picture. But some things that I wanted to point out. He's an African. He's a foreigner. He's a member of some royal court. He seems to be rich. He's definitely literate and educated because he can read and he was reading this. And most important, he's a person of faith. This is just a prime example that God is for people of all nations. All types of people. People that have been through some stuff too because I'm telling you, you get your testicles cut off. That's You've been through some stuff. There are two more people that I wanted to mention that were possibly people of color. This is not 100% for sure, but a lot of people believe Simon of Cyrene is believed to be black or at least to have a good amount of melanin in the skin. And you might be like, well, who is this? This is the dude talked about in three of the four Gospels. I'll just read from you Mark 15, verse 21. It says, a certain man from Cyrene, Simon, the father of Alexander and Rufus, was passing by on his way in from the country and they forced him to carry the cross so this is talking about this is the dude who ended up carrying jesus's cross when he was on his way to Golgotha, when he was on his way to to die on the cross they were like hey you you come carry the cross and he did it and one of the big reasons why some believe simon was black is because cyrene is modern day libya that's in africa and the people there have some melanin in their skin it's not a fact, but it definitely can't be ruled out. And it's safe to say Simon has some melanin in his skin. Some say maybe like a Jewish father and an African mother or vice versa. Or he was just African and he converted to Judaism. Maybe he was just Jewish. But I'm guessing this. I'm guessing that the soldiers picked Simon and made him carry the cross, though, because he looked different. And he was an obvious, obvious foreigner. And I'm thinking that the soldiers guessed this dude doesn't know Jesus. He doesn't have any knowledge of him because they didn't want any problems. Now, this is not 100 percent fact. It's guesses. So some of you may be wondering, what's the point then if you're just guessing and speculating? My point is, regardless, I know blacks can relate to this because how many times does it feel like we are forced to carry a cross? We don't necessarily want to, especially in America. Shoot, you don't even have to be black to relate to this or feel like you're forced to carry a cross of some sort. But rather we are forced to, like Simon, or volunteering like Jesus. We are going to carry our fair share of crosses in life. But I got you, I want you to think about this. Do you think Simon, in that moment, thought he was helping and doing an action that would lead to the most beautiful act of love and sacrifice? ever displayed like do you think he thought about that or or could have guessed that probably not do you think he thought the savior of the world is about to die on the cross and give himself up and i'm a part of god's plan to help him carry this cross so when you're forced to carry your cross you don't want to especially when it seems insignificant and it just seems stupid or or tedious 
know that and trust that God is working in ways that we can't even comprehend at times, like he was in this situation. So in this episode of Does Race and the Bible Matter, I have to point out the fact that none of us are, are pure anything. I'm a black man, but does that mean I'm pure and have just 100% African in me? It's like, no, you could be Hispanic. You could be white. We're all mixed with something. And I just wanted to point out the, the lineage of Jesus. And this is in Matthew. And it doesn't appear that Jesus was like all the way Jew either. Rahab was in his lineage and Rahab was a Canaanite. She was a prostitute. And then Ruth is in his lineage and she was a Moabite. If you wanted to read about Rahab, that's in Joshua 2. Joshua chapter two, I should say, if you want to read about Ruth, that's in the book of Ruth. So as far as images and art and illustrations, those matter. And we have to be careful how we use them. And maybe we shouldn't use them at all. Like if we don't know what the the race was or the color, maybe we should just shouldn't use it. And I wouldn't care if Jesus was white. If God chose him, then I'm cool with it. If he chose Jesus to be purple or green, it wouldn't matter to me. But the question to ask or think about is if you knew Jesus was, let's say, black, which I'm not saying he is either. Or let's just say he had some type of color in his skin, which he did. Would that change your devotion to him or how you treated people that look like him or don't look like him? Jesus's ethnicity, it matters for one reason, and that's because of the Bible saying it does. And what I mean by that is the Bible talking about Jesus is going to come from the line of King David or Jesus is in the line of Shem or the seed of Judah. And it tells the lineage and who his ancestors would be. But if you look at the Bible, the Bible is so diverse. It's, it's so multicultural. It's so much about us seeing our differences as a blessing. It's so much about treating every single person as a brother or sister. It's so much about seeing that Jesus was about us saving the human race. He was about one race. That's the human race. Not the white, the black, the yellow, the, the red, the polka dot, the purple race, the human race. Jesus commanded us to make disciples of all nations. Jesus was about us realizing that we are all similar. We all bleed blood, red blood. We're all sinful. We all have a major commonality, and that's that he died for all of us. He suffered for all of us, and we need him as a savior. And this is the non-microwave truth. Thanks for joining me on this episode of Does Race Matter in the Bible? Next week, we'll kind of continue this theme of talking about different social issues. Next week, we'll be looking at how this world is infected with sin and we all make mistakes and sin. And we're really looking at how every behavior is not a learned behavior. However, how do you know if it's a sin or something wrong you inadvertently taught someone else? The title of next week's episode is Racism Doesn't Need to Be Taught. And I'll thank you in advance for those who share this. Hit the five star that leave a comment or just tell someone about the episode that is love peace punch captain crunch say no to drugs and yes to jesus i'm out